my back is killing me this morning. So if I'm stooped over a little bit, um, it's just for you to pity me. I want you to feel sorry for me. If it gets really bad, you can come up here and hold me up. Anyway, it, it, uh, it's hard to get old, but uh, if you're still breathing, that's a good thing. Um, that was my sister singing, by the way. My baby sister, Loretta, she sings with us at Pathway every week, and, and uh, I always love playing with her. Anyway, um, these passages, uh, Adam always picks them. The senior pastor picks the passages we're going to preach from on Sunday morning, and uh, then we rotate who writes the sermon and all that good stuff. But when, when he threw me this pitch, you know, it's like, whoa, this is, yeah. If you get to talk about David and you get to talk about John, that, that's just cool. In the Old Testament, in um, this term, may you may not like this, I don't know, but the rock star of the Old Testament, I mean, we got Moses, we got Samuel, we got Elijah, but the rock star of the Old Testament, I mean, the shining star, the one who stands out, the personality, you know, is David. Uh, Israel always wanted to go back to the time of David. Um, there's just something about that guy. And then in the New Testament, you got Paul and you got Peter, but John holds his own. You know, he writes a lot and, and uh, there's some pretty cool stuff about him. So these two guys, when, they, when, they, uh, when Adam pitched this to me, I thought, oh my gracious, that's, that's a slow, easy ball to hit right there. And, and as I dug into them and thought back about all the stuff that I've studied and learned through the years about these two guys, I thought uh, there's a reason why he picked these guys, and there's a reason why he picked these passages, because these guys didn't think like normal people, and they did. They had they had lenses, not on glasses, but in their eyeballs, in their spirits. They had senses in their ears, and just in their the way they live life. They filtered life through artistic, poetic mystical lenses rather than scientific or mathematic or conceptual lenses. They tasted life more than thought it. Does that, does that ring? I'm trying to think of ways to put this where we can see that both of these guys were, were different. If you sat down and had a conversation with them, in like five seconds you'd be like, oh my gracious, we have set the flower deep. We're going deep, deep, deep. And these guys know things they feel things, they perceive things differently than the average person. And so I, I want to soak everything I can from them. I want to soak it in and get it from them. Um, if, if you have, you know, a biblical hall of fame, uh, the plaque, there's a pre-made plaque for both of these guys that goes under their name, right? David was a man after God's own heart. I didn't make that up. It's right in there. And John, in the gospel, he calls himself at least twice, maybe three times. He says, I'm the one Jesus loved. I used to think that was arrogant. But I don't think that's where he's coming from. I think that was his reason to get up in the morning. Why do you live life, John, to be loved by Jesus? I'm not special. He loves everybody else. But it's dawned on me how much he loves me, so I'm going to talk about it. And I'm going to wear that label. I'm the one he loves. He loves you too, but I'm going to wear that label. I'm the one he loves. So 
These, these guys, there's a reason why Adam picked these two guys for this message. Because remember, we're, we're talking about uh, we, we need to look for what, to be a witness, we need to look for what God is doing. And then Laura, uh, Pastor Laura made it abundantly clear, and, and we've got to be able to discern it, that that's what God's doing when we see it. We, we need to be able to recognize it. God's at work there. Because God gets credit for stuff he doesn't do, and he gets blamed for stuff he doesn't do. Think about that. He gets credit for a lot of stuff he has nothing to do with and blamed for a lot of stuff he has nothing to do with. So you look for God at work, and you, and you have to be able to recognize when he's at work. That takes a little bit of practice. And so this is the third in the series of when you see that God is work, you speak it out. And these two guys saw God everywhere, recognized him readily, and they had a lot to say about it. Like in the Old Testament, David's Psalms, and, and I joked when Jeremy started reading it, some people call them the spasms. Because one time is God is so good, and the next time is I think I'm going to die. It's just, you know, they're kind of spasmodic. They're psalms of lament and psalms of praise. Uh, but they're real. They're in touch with life. They're in touch with where we live. And David wrote, he didn't write all the psalms, but he wrote a lot of them. And he also had a lot to say, you know, in his kingship that we get to read about in, in uh, Samuel and wherever that shows up. I forget. The, yeah. Um, and then John in the New Testament, he has all kinds of stuff to say about what he saw, how he saw God at work. He writes his gospel, which I confess to you, through my college and seminary years, that was the one that I read the least because I couldn't get it, didn't understand it. And even through a bulk of my ministry, is like, yeah, I'll, I'll preach from John every now and then, but I don't get that guy. I don't understand him. Like I say, his plow was set too deep for me. And, and uh, then he wrote the three epistles, first, second, third John. Then he wrote the Revelation, you know. So over time, I finally got the courage up when nobody was looking. Just don't, don't ask me to tell you anything about John, but I'm going to go over here and study him. So I got under the tree, you know, and secretly studied John and looked at him. And I thought, oh, my gracious, this guy tells it. He knows things. Nobody else knows, and he tells us things and describes it in ways that nobody else in Scripture does. I mean, you read Matthew and, and Mark and Luke, they tell wonderful, great, profound things about Jesus, but none of them get some of the stuff that John describes about Jesus. It's so deep, so deep. So we've, we've picked these two guys to describe what it means to speak out what we, when we see God at work. We've picked these two guys, David out of the Old Testament and John out of the New Testament. And, and so far, the point I'm trying to make is that they had special eyes and special ears, spidey senses. I don't know what you want to call it. They had the ability to see God at work and to speak it out. And so I've asked myself the question, because um, I've been working on this for like several weeks, just thinking about it, pondering it. And I thought, what is it about these two guys that gave them this gift, this ability, these spidey senses, whatever you want to call them. What is it that, that, and I think the first thing we'd have to say is both of these guys realized not here, but here. You know what I'm saying? It was not a concept that they, if you wrote it on the board, they'd say, yeah, I agree with that. A lot of people say, oh, I've got deep belief because I agree with the concept. That's, that, that's, that's not setting the plow very deep. With these two guys, they, they knew it here. They experienced it. 
They felt it. It was their default setting. It was their bedrock. It's the first thing they thought in the morning and the last thing they thought at night. And it was this. The reason they could see God at work is because they knew God saw them. Now you think, oh, I don't know if I want God looking at me. If he's like the Santa Claus idea, you know, keeping a list who's naughty and nice. And if it's like a policeman or a judge or a, a, you know, a heavy-handed teacher who keeps score of everything. I'm not sure I want God looking at me and watching me. But if he's who Jesus said he was, especially in John's gospel, if he's who Jesus said he was, he's my father. If you've seen me, you've seen the father. If, if God is anything like Jesus, I want him watching me. I want him seeing me because John discovered when he opened himself up and let Jesus see him that Jesus didn't try to fix him. He didn't try to correct him. He didn't reject him. He didn't walk away from him. He embraced him. I see who you are and I love you. You're my child. Yeah, I see you stumble. Yeah, I see your questions. I see your attitudes that are kind of stinky now and then. You know, I see that stuff. But I'm not pushing you away and I'm not browbeating you or hitting you with a ruler. You know, I'm embracing you. So at the very last supper, who's leaning up against Jesus? You know, and Jesus had already called them out. You know, we've got betrayers, deniers, doubters, scatterers. You've got all these things. And John's like, I know, I'm one of them. But he had learned, I'm not going to get hit for that. I get, I'm going to get hugged. And so he, he knew he was being watched by God. And he knew that was a good thing. And remember that David said, even in my womb, you knit me, you saw me before I was born. And David knew that God saw him and looked at him. And, and David knew that God knew about the Bathsheba thing. And, and yet he knew God loved him, even as grievous as that was and horrid as that was. So these guys were able to see God because they knew God saw them and loved and accepted them in their humanity, in their mess-ups, in their stupidity, in their bad attitudes. He knew that he saw them. They knew that he saw them. So let's translate that into us. How might I learn to see God at work so that I could speak it out? How might I learn to see God at work like David and John did? And I think the first thing we need to do is we need to realize that God sees us and he loves us just the way we are. And when that sinks in, not as a concept, not if I wrote it up on the board and you say, yeah, I agree with that. But when that sinks into here and it becomes where I live in, in my weakest points, in the middle of the night, when I wake up troubled, whatever, it becomes my default setting 24-7. I'm seen by God. I'm loved and embraced by him. Then I no longer have to focus on trying to please him or trying to keep all the rules or trying to walk this little tightrope. That, I don't have to worry about that anymore. My focus doesn't have to be on self-control, self behavior management, attitude adjustment. It doesn't have to be on that. If you stop and think about it, if you're a, and, and, and I'm not pointing the finger, but I'm just saying, if you look in the mirror and you have to confess, I'm a rule keeper, I'm a legalist, I'm one who just pays all kinds of attention to behavior management, attitude adjustment, all this stuff, where is your focus 
Where are you looking? What is your life all about? Me. It's about me. I ain't got time for you. You know, you, you, you manage your own. Well, I ain't got time to, to look after you or care for you or listen to you. I, I haven't got time for God. All I got time for is to keep my nose squeaky clean. That's victorious Christian living. That's what, that's what Christ had in mind, what God had in mind when he created us. I think these guys were free to see God at work because they knew that he saw them and accepted them for who they were. So they, they, I mean, it's not like they go out and start doing a bunch of bad stuff. Well, David did some bad stuff. Anyway, I never have figured out why he did that. But anyway, it's because he wasn't doing his job. He should have been out at war with the rest of the guys and he stayed home. Lazy king, shouldn't do that. Um, anyway, I was chasing a squirrel there for a minute. Sorry. I just couldn't resist. <laughs> squirrel. <laughs> um, hey, I just did that and it didn't hurt my back. We're making progress. Um, but think about these guys who are living free from all this self-focus. Think about the energy. I don't know if you've ever lived a legalistic life or are you living it now, but back in my legalistic days, it wore me out. It saps all of your energy and all of your attention. You burn all your calories every day just trying to make sure that you live this perfect Christian life. I ain't got time to look for God at work. I'm wore out just worrying about myself. So these guys could see God at work because they were freed from this self-focus. Now they could have a God focus. And the second thing that dawned on me is they, they saw God everywhere. David, good grief, dude. It's like he saw him in the rocks. He saw him in the clouds. He saw him in the trees. God was everywhere to David. When, once his vision was cleared up, his focus was cleared up, and he was able to give it just to God, he saw him everywhere. And, you know, John doesn't give us, well, John had visions. Oh, my goodness. You get into Revelation, he saw God where God wasn't, maybe. I don't know. He, he saw some pretty profound things about God in Revelation. So these guys saw God in places that most people don't see him. So they freed God up to show up when and where he wanted to show up. No, you're just supposed to show up when I have my devotions. You're just supposed to show up at the sacred hour when we get in this box every Sunday morning with other believers. No, you're only supposed to show up when I turn on my favorite Christian music and listen to it. You're just supposed to show up these certain places, you know, these certain favorite passages of scriptures, whatever. I'm being very tongue-in-cheek here, very sarcastic. But that's, I put God in that box for years. Okay, God, here's our designated time. You're supposed to show up now. Now I can see you. And God has to be freed up. I need to be freed up from, from micromanaging my own life. But we need to free God up to show up when and where he wants to show up. And he shows up in some pretty strange creative ways all over the place. If you start looking for him, if you get, get rid of looking at your own navel and making sure you're perfect and start looking for God out here, you're going to see him places that you never imagined that you would see him. And you're, and you're going to see him in ways, you're going to see things about him. Discover things about him that you didn't know before. 
Okay, so if, if I'm going through my points, uh, see, I don't have notes, but I do in my head. So I'm on point three right now because I know that when you come to this place in, in what I've just said, everybody's saying, okay, boy, this sounds cool. This, I would love to live that life. What does that look like? How in the world do we do that? Well, I, I, I separate that up into two things. I'm going to call it snippets and home fires. See, they'll make a bit of sense to you right now, but I guarantee you won't forget. Snippets and home fires. So life is full of snippets. I love that word, snippets. Like when you go, uh, let's see. Like this happened to me one time. I took Robbie to the hairdresser and I'm sitting outside. Some of y'all have heard this story. I love this story. I was sitting outside waiting on her and it was just warm enough to keep your windows down. And so a lady probably in her 70s and her daughter, which would have, I guess she would have been in her 50s, come out with a fresh new do on the 70-year-old lady. And from the time they shut the door to the, got in the car, the older woman, the mother, was just like, I just don't know. I've, I've never had my hair cut this short before. I just don't know. You know, I, I, don't, I hope I don't regret this. And I'm looking at her, I'm thinking, I think that haircut's rocking. It looks pretty good. So lo and behold, they come to the car right beside me. My window's down. She's two feet from me. The, the mother is. And I thought, shoot, I'm going for it. So I said, I said, if you want my opinion, I'm sure, her face is right there. I said, if you want my opinion, I think your hair looks awesome. And I think you ought to wear it with pride. And she was like, oh, well, thanks. And she got in the car with this great big smile on her face. And most people would say, well, that's a cute little engagement. You know, that's cute. I'm sorry, but that was a God moment. That was a God moment. I think about times when I've gone into a quick sack somewhere and you see a single mother toward the end of her shift, a big box store, doesn't matter where you go, toward the end of her shift, and she is just beat down. She's had about all she can take. And, and I, I think, what a gift it is to look at her and say, so how, how many hours have you been working? Blah, blah, blah. You get off pretty soon then. Yeah. Man, I hope you can get some rest. I feel for you. I've worked some long days. That's a God moment. That's, that's seeing where that person is and, and speaking what God might like to speak into that person's life. It's like having a waitress. We, and, and, and if you go to Pathway, you've heard these stories, and I apologize, but we were on our, Robbie and I love to tag team on this. We've gotten to where we have a contest. Who can get the first one in? And, and so we were going to, to Tennessee to see our daughter. And we stopped in Lebanon at a, at a subway. And there was a lady in there all by herself. A customer was just leaving when we went in. There was a lady in there all by herself. And you could tell she was flustered. She was kind of uh, flushed in her cheeks. And she was just, you know, kind of wiping the sweat off her brow and really um, working hard at what she was doing. But she took such good care of us, such good care of us, and, and did it with such um, proficiency and, and was very gracious in her dealing with us. And so we got our stuff, and we were walking out through between the tables and got halfway to the door, and I, and I turned around and I said, you know what? She looked at me like, 
And I said, you are awesome at what you do. I said, I said, you are so efficient and you are so gracious in the way you handle us. And I, I had so deep, and then Robbie lit in on her. If you know my wife, if, when she starts spewing grace, I mean, it is like, it's magic when it comes out of her mouth. So she's talking to the girl, and then I'm storing up something, so I'm talking to her. And so we went back and forth, and we got in the, we got in the SUV and kept on south toward Woodbury. And we turn to each other and we say, she may put up with a lot of crap today, but she won't forget those two old people who came through and encouraged her. Those are the God moments. Those are the little snippets that we can either waste, oh, this, this won't mean anything, or we can say, I've only got 15, 20 seconds with this person, two minutes with this person. I'm going to take full advantage of the short time I have with them. This may be the only God they encounter today. So I'm going to do this for them. We had some other things just the other day I was going to share, but I better pay close attention to time. So those are the snippets. Do you get what I'm talking about? Just the little, little pieces of time that you have through the day that you can say to an office mate, you can say to somebody in the store, whatever. I always told uh, my son, Jacob, he's you, you probably very few of you all know him, but he lives in Madisonville. Um, when he was little, we'd go into like a tire shop to get a flat repaired. We'd go into the co-op to get horse feed or whatever, you know. And, and uh, I would tell him, I'd say, now watch your dad here. Watch what happens. So I'd walk in. Of course, I knew a lot of these people. I'd start cracking jokes. I'd start trying to get them laughing and get them down. Because some of them were just working. They're out on the dock loading those sacks all day. You know, it's heavy, hard try to make them laugh and everything and 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 when we'd leave I'd say Jake did you see what I did there whenever you go into a place of business always leave them happier than when you got there always leave them smiling and laughing more than when you got there it does make a difference and now I watch my son and it's like shoot he does better than I do at it but th those are the moments that we're talking about I watched my grandfather do that our grandfather Grandpa Van Valen and I watched my dad do that. And so maybe it's easier for me because it's, uh, you know, I, I had an example. And, and, and so to me, it wasn't that big a deal to take advantage of the snippets. And I hung around with Wayne for like 15 years. Gerald ever go out to eat with Wayne? He knew everybody and he, he graced everybody, every conversation he had with everybody. And so, yeah, those are the snippets. I'm, I'm chasing more squirrels here. But then there's the home fires. There's the people we live with all the time. There's the family and friends. There's the people you've worked with for 30 years. There's the people you, you, know, you sit down and, and, and eat burgers with out on your back deck. You, those people you're close to. Home fires. In the Old Testament, do you, do you remember how a patriarch, an old patriarch before he died, he would call his whole family to gather around his bed. Do you remember those, some of those scenes? He'd gather around his bed and he would look at each one of them and he would say, this is who I see, this is what I see in you and this is what I see in you and this is what, I... sometimes it wasn't nice. <laughs> I'm not advocating that. But sometimes the, the blessings that he would say, the words that he would say 
to his kids and grandkids and various people in his family carried tremendous weight. It reshaped their life. Peter, well, he was Simon before he was Peter. He signs on with Jesus, and Jesus is, you know, he knows he's going to be with him for like three years. He already knows he's going to deny him. He already knows the, he's going to try to walk on water and he's going to sink and all this good stuff. But he looked at Peter, or well, Simon, he was Simon. He looked at Simon and he said, your mama named you Simon. Well, back then it's probably your daddy did. <laughs> Patriarchal. But anyway, your, your parents named you Simon. But do you want to know what I see in you? I see a rock. And so I'm going to change your name to Peter. In the Old Testament, when God found Abram, that's what he started out as. Do you know that? He found Abram, and he sat down, and he got to know him, and they made this promise with each other called the covenant. And he said, from now on, your name is going to include my name, Abraham. Yahweh, the th sound of Yahweh will be in your name. So I'm, change I'm speaking this into your life. The power of words to the people you're close to, these little snippets, they make a difference. But the people you live with, profound, profound effect. Do you remember the movie The Help? Did you ever see that movie? It was set in the deep south back when there was still a lot of, there's racism still, but it was really bad then. And they had the help and they treated them awfully. And there was this, this lady who, worked for a, a mother who had, I think at the start of the movie, maybe she had more babies, but she had one little girl, and the little girl was a little bit chubby, and she was a little bit clumsy, and she didn't fit in with all the other kids. And this made the help every day. I'm thinking about what she said to her. Every day she would get down in this little girl's face, and she'd say, you're kind, you're smart, you're important. And she did this day after day after day with this little girl. And her mother treated her terrible. So one day, the mother fired the help. She fired the servant. It was terrible. The little girl was crying. The little girl was all upset. And for one last time, she got down on the floor with that little girl. And she said, you remember what I've always told you. You're kind. You're smart. You're important. And then she had to leave. She had to walk home. Didn't even have a car to get home. That's just a movie. Uh, you know, that's just a movie. Think of the effect on that little girl. Think of the profound effect on that little girl. I'm going to close with this. So on Easter, we had our family together. And uh, three little grandkids came. And our oldest granddaughter... From day one, I've known something was different about her. I mean, it showed in her eyes. Loretta knows her well. I don't think anybody else here does. But there's just something about her that's just different. She's uh, very nurturing. There's healing in her, in her eyes and in her voice. And there's just her ability to empathize with people. So anyway, at our Easter gathering... Um, Jake and his wife couldn't come because his, because Katie had a medical crisis and they couldn't make it. And it was, a, it was a miscarriage. We didn't know how to explain that to Caroline, my oldest granddaughter. 
and, and my, I respected my daughter's wishes on how much do we tell her. And so Caroline was just insistent there at the little bar in the kitchen. She was like, but I want to know what's wrong with Aunt Katie. And, and Bethany, our daughter, was, was like, well, Caroline, she's just really, really sick. And she had to go to the doctor to get fixed. You know, the, the kind of the vague way you, you and And Caroline had these big tears running down her face. She was so upset about her Aunt Katie, you know. And so I thought, okay, I got to speak to this. I have to, Pa's got to speak to this. So I said, Caroline, do you realize, do you know there's a difference between the word sympathy and the word empathy? And she said, no. And so I explained when you sympathize, you feel sorry for somebody. I said, when you empathize, you feel sorry with them. You feel their pain in, your, in yourself. And I said, you have the gift of being able to care that way. That you love people so much that when they hurt, you hurt. And I said, that is one of the greatest blessings God could ever give you. I said, it's also one of the heaviest loads that you'll carry. But I said, it's one of the greatest gifts that God could ever give you. And then she just, she just broke loose. She looked at me and she said, Pa, nobody's ever told me that before. I thought, you've been told now. But, I'm sorry. No, I'm not. Deal with it. Watch an old man cry. I don't care. I would chase squirrels too. But, but these are, these, the, the snippets are great, but the home buyers, that's where you see God at work in somebody you care about deeply. And you think this is going to be so awkward. I, I, Jeremy... And I have done a lot of talk about you press into the awkward. You don't run from awkward. You press into it. You explore it. And it may be awkward. But if the only thing that's keeping me from speaking the truth of God into that person's life is my squeamishness with awkwardness, that's pretty selfish. This is going to make me feel uncomfortable, so I'm not going to do it. Really? We have a chance to speak profound love and wisdom from God into the people who are close to us. We have just opportunity after opportunity. This is what we're talking about in this series. Can I get a witness? That's being a witness. And I, didn't, I thought you had to hand out tracts to be a witness or knock on doors. No, this is being a witness. Is you look for what God is doing, you recognize it when you see it, and when you recognize it, you speak it out. That person needs to hear. And when you put it into words, it may be one of the greatest aha moments they've ever had. Oh, thanks, Pa. Nobody ever told me that. And, and Caroline will never forget that. She'll always remember that. Let's pray. Father, thank you for speaking creation into being. Thank you for speaking into our lives and being active in this world. And so we want to watch for you at work. We want to recognize you at work. And then when we see you at work, we want to speak it out. And you're going to be right there with us. We'll talk to you later.